So the first question and answer podcast, and who better to do it with than the first podcast guest, Luke Durbridge. Welcome back. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. Um, we're up here in a quaint little spot just in the center of Ghent. Uh, you've got a little house organized for the whole classics period and you've invited me around for a few nights, which is special. Well, I think you organized it originally, but... Uh... That was last year, but not this year. Yeah, so... Take, and you've take, taken it take up it, a notch. Take this, it turn, yeah. this place has got a sauna. It's got a podcast room, which we're sitting in now, which Lovely. conveniently has cold beers in it. Lovely podcast room. Lovely. Um, and it's worked a treat. Durbo is riding like a machine this year in the classics, and I'm trying to follow him. And it's been hard work, but I've been happy with how I've been going too. Well, it's been a good period, hasn't it? It's so, been good. Well, I can't, we can't complain with how the weather's been. And yeah, the team's going good and we're all motivated for the big Sunday next Sunday. The big race. The big race. The race. The race. Exactly. The race. All right, well, we won't linger around too long. Let's get straight into these questions. We've got some good questions that have come in over the week. And we'll start off with an easy one, seeing as we're in Ghent. Someone sent in... Ghent versus Girona, which city is better? Hmm. I think for me, pros and cons for both, but I guess you straight out answer, I think I still probably prefer Girona. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Like Ghent, Ghent for me reminds me so much of Melbourne hmm. and it's just, it's such a good happening city, yet you get the Belgian weather with it. It's a, it is a great place here. Well, Melbourne's pretty grey though. Yeah. <laughs> and Girona, look, Girona's a cool place and it's good for cycling and training and it's a relaxed place. But the good thing about here is good beers here. Good beers, yeah. I do love Ghent for that reason too, you know. I think it's a university town. So you've got a, you're always on the cutting edge of young people trends of bars and cafes and, and all these cool little things. So... Yeah, I think if... But like, where, where would you live? If you could now... Uh, I still think I would live... In Girona. Yes. You? Initially, I said Ghent. I would have loved to be in here, but I think for longevity of training and stuff... I don't know how many times you can go up and down on the Skelter. I mean, there's, there's good training, sure, but the options that we have in Girona is world's best, I think. It is good. Yeah. It as is a good. bike rider, Girona, probably as a uni student, Ghent, you... Oh, yeah, well, Gerona is a uni student. No yeah, way. There's a, there's a uni there. <laughs> That's true. Maybe a TAFE. Yeah. Um, all right. Durbo, this is more directed at you. How do you feel after your big win? No doubt, all the last few years, hard work has paid off. Good on you, boys. So I'm, I'm pretty sure this is from Tony Bond from Canberra, our... One of our guys who works with us at the AIS, actually. And um, I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to the time trial win in De Punna that you just had. I assume so. I think Tony was our... The first time we met in mm. UniSA a couple of years ago, Bondi was our swanier there. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. I assume he's referring to the win in De Punna. I haven't had a win for a while. So, um, no, it's, it's great. You know, I think I've been knocking on a door last couple of weeks performing well. And uh, I was really, really happy to get the win. I think initially I, uh, on the screen, they actually had Chavanel beat me. So I actually got Did up. They? I got up out of the... Uh, Who? Chavanel. Chavanel. Oh. Got out of the hot that. seat and uh, rode back to the hotel. And I got back to the hotel and walking, yeah, walking up to my room, Lorenzo calls me. You've got to come back to the podium. You've won. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, bullshit. You know, like I'm not... I'm not going back. Don't play my balls, you know? And he's just like, uh, no, nah, seriously, you got to come back from podium. When was Chevenel off? Chevenel was off like fifth last. So, But I mean, I was only off 12th last. There's only like a couple of riders after me. But, mm. Yeah. And I looked at the screen, I saw it at 0.70. He beat me by, actually, congratulate Chevenel. Rolled out, gave Chevenel a high five, like, oh, good ride, mate. Rolled back to the hotel, kind of like, well, maybe I'll be second, maybe I'll be third or fourth, I don't know, whatever. It's not normal to get beat. It's not unnormal to get beaten in a time trial lately because I haven't won one in such a long time. So I was kind of like, yeah, right. And then when I got back, it was just like I was stoked. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, really? You gotta go back? Cool. So were you more stoked because the feeling I had was really close in both Dwarves of Flanner and fourth. Then E3 was like a chance to get 
another another chance, fourth again, and then was it like second then in the first stage of Depana? It's like, oh god damn it! And was that was we was that win there like, yes, I've got a win, or was it more like, yes, I'm happy because I got a TT win aside from all the classic stuff? Because you've been a long time off mm. with your TTs and now you're back on again. Yeah, I think it's probably more that. I think it's more, yes, I got a TT win because... Rather than just, oh, I've got a victory I've in this period. Period, yeah. Because, like, I think you would have to be, judging from my previous results to this year, you couldn't, you kind of be unrealistic to go, I'm going to win E3 next year. Yeah. Because I haven't, you know, been in the top 20 in E3 before or Warrigan or something like that. So I think I was achieving quite good results for me on my own expectations through the mm-hmm. period. So, yes... Good job, fourth. Good job, fourth. Yes, second in Depana, first stage road race, cool. And then it was like this other thing of like, I remember I, I, I'm still a time trial. That's what I pretty much signed pro for. Mm. So when I ticked off a time trial win as well, I'm like, well, you don't. I, I had this mindset before that you had to sort of trade off one for the other. Mm. But I kind of got to a level now where I don't. If your form's form, you can perform in a time trial and you can perform. In Would the, you call in that freak level? When you just become a freak? <laughs> no. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, what did you think of, on that same note, what did you think of Marcel's time trial? Because I only just spoke to him just before that and I told him that he wasn't time trialing well anymore. And then all of a sudden he decided to time trial well. Do you think that was like having a go at me? I, I don't know, but... He was guy, fourth, by the way, yeah. That guy was... was he fourth? He was fourth, yeah. yeah. That guy was ridiculous that day. Yeah. Like, what he did is he crashed the... Might have done it the last stage of the second last stage of the punter, stage three A. Yeah, morning uh, stage, ninety k. Is it ninety or hundred? It's like it's a hundred k, and you come and you do these last three or four laps of the circuit, mm. and uh, yeah, it was a the you. It's kind of crazy. You race the same way as the tram line runs, and uh, so I don't know if you've ridden next to tram lines at the. The lip's pretty deep, and a few riders have hit. Most people in Melbourne would have done that. Exactly. So uh, Marcel's come down with a lot of guys, <coughs> with uh, probably one lap to go. So you sort of think five k, probably ten k, oh yeah, eight k. I think it was eight to ten k, and then uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, well, I guess Marcel's out of the sprint, and then all of a sudden, I think it must have been like. 4k to go I just see like Jack Bowers on my hip yelling devo 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 let me in sort of thing I look back and he's got Kittle on his wheel did you let him in? yeah of course why? well not let him in oh. I was just I was about 50th wheel alright yeah. yeah, but I look back and I couldn't believe it and I think the pain face Marcel had in his face was just like I've just done a time trial like 8k just full gas to get back on and, and we, we weren't messing sprint. around I was like oh I mean even if he gets back good luck winning that sprint and then you watch the video and you're just like, that guy's a freak. And then in the afternoon, then, you did the fourth. And then the fourth. So I'm sure maybe if you hadn't done that, you probably would have beat me in the time trial. So. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're still fired up. <laughs> um, all right. What else have we got here? Let's keep on the subject of where we are in Belgium. What was the training block coming into this big three, four weeks of racing? What did you concentrate on each week? Did you do one week on power, then one week on speed, or did you do it just by feel? Have you moved to Belgium for these few weeks? Well, I think we answered the first, that last part there. Yes, we have moved to Belgium for these few weeks. Uh, we came up half a week before Dwarves de Flanen, which is the first semi-classic. Well, actually, it's a, it's a pro world tour race now, so it's a bit bigger. That's on the Wednesday before Gent-Wavelgem. And we came up on the Friday and did some reconnaissance on the Saturday and Sunday before, and then had a few rest days and went into the classics then. Um, and then I guess leading into this period, not to get too specific, but this type of training we did, I think you were in South Africa leading up to this, doing a training camp with the team, and I was actually back in Australia still doing a bit of training back there. I don't think it would be quite dissimilar in terms of what our training would have been. It just depends on what the location was, you know. I think I've always thought about this. I think one key thing for me every year in the classics is the race before the classics. So for me, it's always been Paris Nice, and for you, I think it's always been Torino Adriatico. Yep. And one key element to that is 
because I feel like I'm not a freak, <laughs> I've got to go into that 95% fit and look for that 5% of fitness in Paris because it's such a hard race. You've almost got to go there in the top of your form and find that last bit of form. Some guys who are more naturally gifted can go in there in less form and then get more form out of it. But I think that race is really crucial because it's, it's a 10 day or eight day really tough race, 10 days before the classics. And that sets you up for a good classics period, I think. That's my, what I always judge how I'm gonna go. If I have a good Paris and I feel comfortable there, then I know the classics are gonna be set up. I'm gonna go well. What about you? I think, yeah, I think both similar. Like yeah. I said, I've always done Torino, you've always done Paris, but now the races are so goddamn hard, the Torino and Paris that like you said, you have to go in 90%, 95% fit. I'm, I'm the same. Like, I think I was training... Well, you were going good already at Strata Bianchi, which is just before. Just before, but I think, yeah, it's it's more... You don't necessarily concentrate on the one-week power, one-week speed, one-week this, one-week that. For us, it's like our coaches set out a plan mm. for in November that we will arrive in March and April with this big loading of training of all variances of, of, of areas covered so that we arrive at the best level. And we know that you've got Paris-Nice and Torino thrown in there, got Strata, opening weekend. It does start, like you said then, it starts in October. Exactly. November. November. Starts in November, and then December's really crucial to get some foundation in. January, we're already in racing. Good to cut back there. Foundation. Obviously, we want to get a little bit more deeper in the question, but what is what is some foundation? So, say for example, you would get a foundation coach session. I did. I did really different stuff this year, and I worked on being strong at the end of at the end of the race, which sounds very obvious um, because you need to be good at the end of the race. And but people like to see good numbers. So what? Yeah. What I would do was. I would do some efforts at the start of my ride and then I would do a ride of six hours and at the end of my ride, I would try and replicate the same efforts I did at the start of the ride. And I'd be looking for... Sounds fun. Yeah, the drop-off in power and can I produce the same power when I've, you know, burned a certain amount of calories, blah, blah, blah. And initially, like you just said then, I was like, this is stupid, this training. You know, like I'm completely buggered. Then as the time went on, I noticed that the power that I could do at the start of the ride and the power I could do at the end of the ride was not too far off each other. And that's exactly what the classics are, yeah, aren't they? Exactly. You know, you're arriving at the... Do you do that? I do something similar. Yeah. I, I think my training's pretty similar in terms of we're, we're different riders in the sense of your power between you know, one and three minutes is a lot higher. So what I tend to do is I pretty much go out the door and uh, I actually just try and burn thousand calories an hour <laughs> for as long as I can until sort of five, six hours and then I come home because... So, okay, you just go like hard. ridiculously hard. Yeah. Not ridiculously hard. Oh, yeah, hard. but that's why and it's not, not really going to go into it too deep, but that's why you use this thing called the air hub, which is the resistance wheel. I do, yeah. I think it's a it's a tool that for where I live in Perth um, and also most of the places in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, just adds for me, slightly amount of resistance that I can train with. And I, I'm not a solo trainer at anything, so I have to train with someone. Yeah. I'm a... And no one can train at your level. <laughs> Actually, that's true. That's why you got the hub. No. Uh, well, who can? Yeah, well... We, I can't. We've got a few guys at home that we train with all the time, and because I want to ride with them, and... and uh, you need the hub. Put the hub on, so... This is level playing field. Exactly, so... I train with Lara now all the time. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. That was good. Um, this is for Durbo again. Have you always been a strong rider? <laughs> but what has changed, if anything, to enable a great result at Dwarsdale Flandern E3 and Strata Bianchi? Is it consistency from years of training? Has the team focused more on you? Or has it been a massive block of training during the Aussie summer? Or luck? Or is it just a combination of everything? Big question, this one. Big one. Um, 
What has actually changed this year? Because last year you were scratching at the surface, but no, by no means doing what you're doing this year. No. Uh, I think in terms of what's changed is it, it, it is it is another year of another year of experience um, for me being up here. I think mm-hmm. doing what we've done last year, like you've been doing that a few years, so it taught me that these races are really a lot about obviously your condition, but they're also a lot about your knowledge and and your learning of the of the run-ins and the roads and pretty much to know the course back to, back to front. I remember last year we were reconning courses with a map and you know for ten for how many years you've been doing it five ten ten years mm. you didn't know there was a roundabout at the bottom of the Vulcanburg because mm. now we do because we got lost a couple of times so and we saw it without the barriers without we, the crowd exactly so yeah. now I know every time when there's the roundabout we're coming into the Vulcanburg and I need to get it my is those to the little front. things like that's true there's those little things that you see on the course and a famous one that everyone knows is before the Eichenberg is a red door on a house and you can see it from two three hundred meters because every every corner. And every road here in Belgium, if you're not from here, they do look the same. And you come around the corner, and you're like, is it that corner? No, 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 it's not yet. Because you've got to judge the sprint right. It's a, it's a bunch sprint. Literally a bunch sprint. And you see that red door in the distance, you're like, cool, that's the corner. And you sprint for it. So it's picking up those little things, yeah. Because I think that's 100% what's one of the reasons that has made my ability to be able to race further into the finals this year is that judging that sprint. And sprint is not my my forte in mm-hmm. any means. So I would use a lot, a lot of energy before we would even arrive at the actual crucial moment. Waiting in the front line, is this the corner? Oh no, it's not it yet. It must be still another K up the road. Potentially be first first five riders, ten K out from yeah. the Quarama. And and yeah. and thinking I'm in good position here because it's ten K from the Quarama. When and Everyone's Boone and whoever it is, they're 500, they're, they're the last wheel. Relaxing. With 2K to go, they're their first wheel, well, not even. Yeah, 500, 500 meters. Yeah, exactly. 200 meters. Exactly. So uh, that, that's one thing that's changed for me. Um, what about straight into Strata Bianchi, being up the front there with the big boys? Was that something you expected when you went into that race or suddenly you just rode well and you're like, holy crap, I'm in the front now. We were like, nah, I'm going to be in the front this year at Strata. I'd been in the front once before a couple of years ago in Strata. Um, I think it was 12th or 13th. That was like my first attempt at Strata Bianchi. So I knew it was a race that could kind of suit me. Um, I think one, one thing is, is, and you know in these races, it is taking a chance. Um, and they do these races I said to you the other day these races reward mm. the guy that takes the risk and you look at the way Philip Gilbert won on the weekend yeah. 49k to go went second time Paramount went for it and they rewarded him with the win of Tour of Finals like, there's no question that Phil Gilbert is world class not many guys could ever do that but in terms of no one would ever think to attack 49k to go shit no and what happened in Strata was I got caught out, got caught in a crash, and uh, a group of 10, 15 riders were were away, and uh, actually Dumoulin was, was, was attacking to go across. And he's a Dutch guy. Dutch, Dutch guy, Tom Dumoulin. And I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? You know, like I, I do have a chance that I might be able to hold Dumoulin's wheel, and he may take me across to the front, and then I can race in the front, or I'll get dropped from Tom, can't hold the wheel, get dropped from the, 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 the group, and then I'll be out of the race. But like, what, what is, what would you be, you'd be better off sitting in the group and being safe, or you're just gonna put yourself out there and just, just see how you go. Mm. It was like the year you had in 2011 in Roubaix. Mm. You, put the, you, put the, you put the thought out there that you're gonna roll the dice and just see. Mm. And actually, most of the time in these races, you get rewarded. And that's how, how I've been, racing um i think this year i think sure i've come up another level in terms of training in the off season i did something slightly different you know but i don't think my power and physiology as a rider i think i've always been quite a strong rider since i turned pro but i think my mindset of taking a risk now and riding to my ability 
is now coming to the front and that's why I can try and race race in the front. It's funny that you talk about Tom Dumoulin in um, Strata Bianchi because I spoke to one of his teammates the other day and speaking about that exact instance and he was like, or maybe it was later in the race and they were saying the radio, you got to get rid of Durbo, get rid of Durbridge, go, attack, attack. And apparently he was giving everything and he looked back and you were just still in the wheel. And it's just like, so he was... He was giving everything he could. You probably knew that, but I, I loved hearing that story. I'm like, yeah, Matt, can't get rid of the derbs on the hills. So, yeah, well, Tom's a Tom's a pretty hard bike rider, and he gave it all his shot, but he ended up beating me anyway. So, <laughs> well, it was pretty dicey that end. Yeah. Whoever was in front there. Yeah. Um. All right. Here's a bit of an a bit of an easy one for you, Luke. Luke, what is your favourite climb to train on in Perth? Favourite climb in Perth is Camp Sick Row, Brigadoon. So it's like a, probably a climb that's half an hour out of the city. Um, How long is it? uh, I guess full gas would be like... Kilometres, how many kilometres is it? um, Probably 3k. Oh yeah. We don't really have very many long climbs in Perth. Is it up in where Tour of Perth is? No, 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 no. This, This climb's always headwind. And with the air hub, you can make it 15 minutes if you want. <laughs> really? Yeah, you sort of, uh, it's pretty steep. It's got oh. a little drop down and a really ridiculously steep section. And it's you like fun. this climb, it's your favorite climb? My favorite climb, yeah. Oh. It's, it's really, it's, it's not, you wouldn't say it's a nice climb. Has it got turns in it? No, it's just straight up headwind. So te- well, it's a, it's a good climb because you can get all your efforts done, and that's and and you, I always so it's do, the only climb. One of the only climbs, and also one there's a loop you call Death Valley. Um, it's actually so it's actually where Peter Brock oh. died. He was out racing uh, the rally yeah. out there and crashed. And there's a memorial out there. Yeah, right. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no phone reception, but if you do Death Valley or Death Valley Reverse... It's not named after that, is it? Yeah, we call it Death Valley, yeah. Because of Peter Brock? Oh, from my understanding, yes. Right. So we go past Memorial every time we're out there. And it's those, you know, Australian, out probably where you're from, Romsey, hard roads. Yeah. Real hard loop. But that climb starts Death Valley, and you go into Death Valley, do a loop around and come back. But if you've done Death Valley Return, you're a hard-ass, you know? Really? (laughs) That's the big term in Perth, you know? All right. Turbo Durbo, when did that name come about? I have noticed the commentators are really digging it, and I was watching Paranese, and the commentator was saying it flat out, even though you weren't even doing Paranese. Really? They were talking about yeah, Paranese. Right. Right, I told you name then. <laughs> Good commentators, anyway. Well, um, where did that name I just assumed it came from because you were just strong. Nah, I, I was one of those... Uh, Hotmail at MSN accounts. Oh yeah, right. you know those ones, and and you you plug in the internet and you yeah. and you you chat to the. Oh, chicks. you just did it yourself. Yeah, chat to the chicks and my. my oh, so you made your own nickname up. Yeah, well, my name was just like oh yeah, Turbo Durbo, you know, or like something. And I was sort of on MSN that used to come up as my profile. <laughs> yeah, nice. Cam actually ran with it afterwards. Cam Wyatt. He's just started just... What, just, Turbo just Cam? Calling, just calling me Turbo. Ah. And then from that point on, it was just like, oh, okay. So. Um, how about this one is for both of us. How much new kit do you get? Is it still exciting to get new kit and bikes as it was pre-professional days? Oh, handball that one to you, Mitch. What do you think? We do get a lot of kit, I have to admit. Um, but when you wear it every day... Do you get enough kit to be able to like throw a long sleeve to a fan though? No. I, don't. I, I have done that. <laughs> yes. A few years ago when we were using Santini, they made this thing called an Aqua Zero. You remember the Aqua Zero? Aqua Zero, I yeah, think Aqua, it is called. Aqua Zero. Aqua Zero. And it was just a jacket that the idea is no, no water could come in. But when you had it on, no water went out either. You seriously sweat. <laughs> a lot in that. It was like wearing a plastic bag. Like a beetroot. <laughs> yeah. And so one time I was wearing it and I think it was actually in my room. I always remember it was up the Barnaberg, whatever it was. And I was like, God damn this Aqua Zero. I'm sick of this thing. I was so wet. I was I wasn't even I wasn't dry on I wasn't 
dry <laughs> from the rain and I was just completely wet from sweat on the inside. And I, was, I threw it off. It was one of the most joyous things I've ever done and threw it to a fan who probably thought he'd scored a jacket that was good. But then once he wore it one time, he would find out. Exactly. It's a sweat box. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it was as exciting as pre-professional days because I remember when I first saw my school Shimano, one of the first things I was looking forward to the most was getting back to my house and the director sportive said, hey, Mitch, we've, we've got a place organized for you in Holland, um, in the north of Holland. Here's your house and uh, all your kits upstairs. You know, I've put it in for you already. I was like, oh, yeah, kid, oh, can't wait. And I went upstairs and I was living in the house on my own and spent the whole night going through the kit, trying all the kit on and looking in the mirror. I was like, yeah. This is awesome. And um, I always remember that one of the things I was looking forward to the most was getting the little mini caps. And um, it was funny. I was looking through all the kit and I'm like, I had everything. I had like, you know, five sets of gloves and beanies and everything you can imagine. But I was like, that's weird. They've got no caskets, mini, you know, the mini caps. I'm like, it's really weird. The next morning, the director came around and said, hey, Mitch, how the kit goes? Everything fit okay? You know, I'm missing anything? I was like... Yeah, it's, it's really good. You know, you can see I was a little bit disappointed. And I was like, he's like, oh, something missing? I was like, yeah. There was no, um, there was no caskets. No, like, well, I didn't say that. I said, there was no mini caps. He's like, he's looking at me really strange. He's like, the race caps? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, oh no, no, no. We, we have them in the bus, mate. They're, they're just throwaways. You know, like, and I was, I couldn't quite understand him. Anyway, I got to my first race. <laughs> and I was still searching for the mini, the mini caps and I was like where, where are these little hats and then they said yeah they're just in that cupboard there I opened the cupboard up and there was literally hundreds of caps in there I was lost my mind I'm like oh my god caps so I was pretty excited then but I am I'm not probably like as giddy as that but I still get very excited trying on new kit you? yeah I would agree yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a big kit we're probably we're probably bitches though always complaining about you know, it doesn't fit here, it doesn't fit there, but... Big time princesses when it comes I to guess, I guess when you're racing in it and it's really cold and all that, and every day, you want it to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the best moments was when I was junior, I rolled to Cam and Trav's house and they were under 23, Cam and Trav Meyer, and they had like boxes of kit, you know, national kit, SL Coral kit and all this sort of stuff. And they're just like, and I owned Armour's didn't even have a long sleeve, you know, and they're just like, just grab a couple of, grab, grab what you need in there, you know. Just walked in, I was just like, oh my <laughs> God, one day I'm going to have this kit, you know. <laughs> it was, now you've got kit and you, it's exciting. It's an exciting thing. And uh, every year you get it, you're like, oh yeah, this was cool. But like you said, you've lost, maybe you've lost the massive giddiness about it. But, but you're still excited. You're still excited. Yeah. There's always a... This, and then someone said here, what's the, what is your favorite piece of clothing that you can't live without? Hands, hands down for me is a good pair of socks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just think that if socks ride down or they're too thin or they don't fit right or they, you can't wash them once or they, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think if you can get a good pair of socks, that was a big thing when I was growing up it's like sock height was like if you were pro you know like pros had not too much height not too much no no not ridiculous but I'm talking like a good amount of sock height you you had it going on you know so I think for for me still the first piece of clothing I go to is just like socks how do the socks go when you go ooh too short, no. Ours were actually pretty bad at the start of this year, but they've come back with a new sock. It's pretty good now. It's pretty good now. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good. Um, you? What do I know? Caskets? Yep. <laughs> I have to admit, yeah, caskets. <laughs> if they don't have enough luft in them. <laughs> luft. They've got to have luft. Luft, that's like the height. They've got to have the hat height, yeah. If Are you a real high Miguel and Jorain wearer? Like, well, there is no other way to wear them. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. What are you going to wear a skull cap version, like <laughs> hard down on your head with your ears tucked in? Well, I've seen people do it. Yeah, I just don't wear hats. Can't wear them. You could. Uh, it doesn't work. Too long a face, anyway. <laughs> your face is quite long, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else have we got here? 
Oh, this is the end of... Sorry, I didn't actually read the end part of this question. What part of kit can you not live without? It could be something cheap or old. But do you have anything superstitious like Steve Waugh's thigh pad or his hanky? And you actually don't know this story. I was talking about this question before we came on. Steve Waugh had a pink hanky that he used to wear, have in his pocket every time he batted. And it was his superstitious, his lucky hanky. And sometimes you'd see a little bit of pink sort of popping out, popping out of his pockets. Really? And um, as far as I know about his thigh pad, he, used to, he, had, he wore the same thigh pad his whole career. I don't even think before he was playing for Australia, he wore the same thigh pad. So that was something he was very superstitious about. Thigh pad? Yeah. Really? Imagine how scungy it would have been. <laughs> a lot of sweat involved. And he also had the, the baggy green. He wore the same baggy green hat. I do remember a picture saying yeah. they're pretty rail. From his first game to his last game. Far out. Played a lot of tests as well. It yeah. Would amazing. Would be so old. It was, it was scummy ass. <laughs> what about you? Uh, yeah, I'd wear like a necklace and I've got a piece of wood hanging on it. So, you know, the old term touch wood. I'm not sure why I ever created that, but it probably was why. Do you remember the exact moment when it started? Uh, probably under 23, first year maybe. I got given a necklace from my old man, and he actually made me a piece of wood from my house. He's a bit superstitious too, probably himself. Did he give you the idea of, here's a bit of wood, touch wood when you have that bad luck? Not really. I just, I knew, I'd, I'd heard that, I guess, being a... I'm a pro lover that Boone actually had a piece of wood in his helmet behind his helmet Did I'm not he? sure if that's true or not but someone told me that he had a piece of wood oh, yeah. in the back of his helmet as a sort of superstition thing and I was like oh yeah wouldn't mind being like Boone it's probably a good idea I always get a bit like bad thoughts in my head out in the race I'm like I'll touch wood you know so I thought oh, I'll get to get some wood dad's just like I'll get it sorted you know so <laughs> Was it, is it special wood? Yeah, it's, it's a floorboard from my house. My dad's oh. made it into like a little ring. Cool. So it was cool. I got the a house you own. Yeah, my oh, parents. Yeah. Oh, your parents. My house. my my yeah, kicking yeah. out. And then uh, yeah, so dad just made that go to me for my birthday. So there's a hole in your house now where that's been cut out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a bitch trip on all the time. <laughs> it's a big piece. <laughs> no, and then I just touch it when I have a, a bad thought in the race or something like that. So. so when you're in the race, you might be rolling along and you just think like, oh, that guy almost cut me off from that corner. Jeez, I could have crashed then. Imagine if I'd crashed, I would have really gone down on the ground. You know, all oh, bad thought, bad thought, touch wood. Yeah, less like sounds pretty insecure, but that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. What do you say when you're rolling like, oh, bad thought, bad thought, bad thought. Bad thought, touch the wood. Quickly get that get that energy out. Check that energy out. Touch and the wood. Do you put your hand down your jersey so you can touch the wood with your finger, or do you touch it through the clothes and stuff? I touch it through the clothes, and I have to say what piece of clothing I have to go through. So what? Well, it's a bit weird, but. I don't know, I've created a demon now, I wish I never did it, but now I can't stop. So if I've got a long finger glove on, a vest, a jersey and an undershirt, and then my necklace is underneath, I've got to touch the wood and I've got to go say, in my head, through the glove, through the vest, through the jersey, through the undershirt, to the wood. And if I fuck up the order, excuse me, if I mess up the order, then uh, I've got to do it again. Do you mess up the order ever? When you're stressed, yeah, in the classics for sure, especially when it's how, cold. Wait, how often, for instance, the other day, Flanders, how often would you have touched the wood? Seven, eight times. Really? Well, what about, do you do it like every time before the start? Normally do it before the start, yeah. Even if you haven't had a bad thought? No, just as a normally like start of the day. What, as they're doing the countdown or when you're just waiting at the start? Normally just four kilometres zero. Oh, yeah. Start and neutral like. Like, oh, here we go. Here we go, let's do it. Maybe it's a mindset like so. Flanders would have been, as I remember, you probably would have been like rolling out. You would have been through the vest, through the jersey, touched to the wood. Yep. Is that what you have on? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, on the head. Well, how about you? You superstitious? I'm not superstitious, but I have created a little superstition for myself with um, just before I get out of the bus. Or just before I... Sometimes we have to get out of the bus a long time before the start or something like that. And I like to send a little message to my wife and say, Look, I'm off. About to hit the road. Love you. Speak to you after the race. And 
it started off as just there was a last and lost sort of messaging or whatever and then all of a sudden I realised I was doing it every race and then I left the bus one time I was like ah I didn't really say goodbye I was like and then it sort of felt like I was really saying goodbye in case something (laughs) bad happened yeah true I'm like oh geez, wonder if I've never said goodbye and something bad happened (laughs) and then I was like oh shit I've got to go back you went back yeah I went back and I was like and then it started yeah, you've created a beast now. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, then I always remember to do it. And a couple of times I've forgotten on the way to the start. Even, I actually even forgot on the way to get my wiggum. No, it wasn't there. It was, I think it was in Paranese. It was the only time. And then I went back. I was like, oh, it's actually quite tight. It was like four minutes to start. <laughs> I'm like, oh, do I go back? And then it starts playing on your mind. You're like, well, if I don't go back. I can imagine the meeting afterwards at DS. So, Mitch, um, why'd you miss the start today? Oh... Had to text my wife. <laughs> I'd make up some excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good superstition makes you a good husband. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Does. I'm sure your wife loves that. Um, what else have we got here? Can you mono? No, not at all. No, me neither. No, that's done. You ever try? Uh, not really. I went over the back, clipped in, but that's recently. Not. Oh, a couple of years ago. I've never done it again. Paris-Roubaix. I haven't been able to see the team listed, but I'm assuming and hoping you and Luke are riding it. Well, we are. We are, yeah. How do you prepare for a race like that physically and mentally? You want to start on it? Well, physically, I think, well, Matt Matt Heyman proved us wrong last year. True. Before Matty's win last year, I would have said, physically, you need to do this last two weeks of racing. You need to get these long rides in. You need to feel the cobbles. You need to become hardened from the hard races to be good in the final hour of a six-hour race on cobblestones. But... Wrong. Wrong. Heyman <laughs> repair on an ergo. So no cobblestones and probably didn't get any six-hour rides in. Do you think Matty just has 15 years or 17 years yeah, of He's hardened. an exception. Yeah. And plus he's a hard nut That's mentally. True. True. So that's the physical side of things. I would say that. And two, actually, you pointed out probably something I didn't really believe in until recently was how much rest you need for those races. I don't think I ever went in fresh enough years before because you're always worried if you're not training, then you're getting unfit. Mm-hmm. But I think at this point in the year, you're you're fit and all you're actually tired and all you need to do is rest so you can go deep in the race. So something that's opened my eyes up probably the last two, three years is in these weeks in between, I used to train a little bit, try and get a you know, four-hour ride in, a five-hour ride in. But now it's like you need one, probably one hit out midweek. And some guys are racing tomorrow, Skelter Price, but we're not. So we're going to do a recon on Thursday. And that'll be enough, four hours, just to sort of get a little bit of tension on the muscles, but make sure we're not fatigued. Um, also with Rubin, you've got the impact thing you know yeah you You don't want to do too many cobbles before because no you really are swollen afterwards because your body's taking a massive amount of shock i have to admit that's actually one thing i don't know if you've noticed it at the end of roubaix i I compare it to flanders the other day i'm tired after flanders physically in the legs but i'm not shoulders hands arms everything from flanders the stones there they're not that bad but Roubaix, it's everything. Like you really are arms and everything. Like sometimes I remember, I can't, I'm riding across those last few sectors. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I can take it anymore. You know, just in the upper body and the arms, I've got blisters on my hands and. You really are just taking a beating. Yeah, you? everything. And then the legs are just actually a minor part of it, I would say. Your whole neck and back. And yeah, everything. Arms. Yeah, it's not, it's not healthy. What about physically for you? Same? Yeah, same. Yeah, I would just say the same. What about mentally? Uh, Yeah, mentally I would say it's like trying to... For me, I need to treat it like it's any other race because what happens is when you get out there with the crowds and the cobbles and the stress and all this sort of stuff, it becomes bigger than any other race already. Mm. So you don't... I don't need to create it as a... This is the way my mind works because I'm quite tightly wound in terms of the stress levels when it comes into these races. So I kind of need to treat it like it's the same bunch of guys you race all the time, which it's sometimes not. 
it's the same race like you always race, which it's not. But you just tell yourself these things to try and keep you calm until you get there. Because you know when you arrive on the first couple of sections that it's all going to be heightened. You know, there's going to be crowds and cobbles and this and that. So you just need to kind of like keep it chill until you arrive. And the your body and your the reactions and all the emotions in, inside will all come out to be a bigger than a race than you ever do throughout the year. Mm. So that's how I probably prepare mentally. Trying to like know the course, the recon really helps to know the course. You're confident in knowing where you're going and what's coming. Well, when you come to that sector, oh yeah, this sector, oh, it's yeah. longer than you think and that bit at the end's uphill. and Coming up to Wallers, you know, before Arenberg, you yeah, know, yeah. things like that. But that's myself mentally. But I know some people prefer differently mentally. So how would you... That's funny. I can relate to you what you were just saying then about Roubaix. I sort of get off on the hype of Roubaix. Mm. I, I like that. I sort of like going... I'm going around and, and every so often, even the other day in Farners, one of the things I wrote down for myself to do in the race was take a moment and look around and take it in. Because sometimes not being in that moment and realising, you know, there's a million people out here watching the race, absorb some of that energy from them. Mm. And even even watching, I watched the clip of Sargon going up the Quaramont and crashing. And one thing I was watching, I was like, holy crap, there's... There's so many people there, and I didn't even notice that in the race. I knew there was people there, but I didn't notice the magnitude of then watching it after the race. I certainly noticed, and that was one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to try and take in the atmosphere a little bit, not get away from the racing, but just absorb a bit of that energy. Yeah, because you're running out of your own at that point. Yeah. So you need to draw on something. That's something I do in Roubaix. You know, I take and I go, well, this is something I've been waiting for all year. I've got to make sure I actually enjoy the day you know exactly but one thing what you said then is it's 52 weeks for the next one exactly I know it's 54 now 54 (laughs) um but one thing I can relate to is when I did the world championships at Richmond was my first world championships and I was seeing what is it going to be like the worlds you know wow and then maybe, no, I don't think you said it, but someone else, because it was your first road race too. Yeah. Someone else said to us, well, actually, mate, it's just like another road race because they're all the same riders we do, uh, riders we race against, but they're just in their national jerseys. And then when you dumb it down like that, you're like, well, yeah, actually. Yeah. Why should it be any harder than Roubaix or, like, well, I don't know what else. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> like... It's not, it's, it's just, it's got the hype around it. And I was getting overwhelmed by that fact. Yes. Oh, I'm racing for my country and it's the world. But actually when you start breaking down, you're like, well, these guys are just the guys I race every single week. I was racing half of them last week, you know? Yeah. I guess everyone's in top form and. Yeah. But like I said, I think it's, it's trying to, that'll, that'll happen. Yeah. You're, when you arrive at the race, everything else will take care of itself. It's just trying to calm those thoughts going in because you're just really expending unnecessary energy aren't you when you arrive but Roubaix like you said you treat it like it's Christmas day you know mm. and it is and it's, but it's bloody hard there's no question it is that's a good that's a good one that's what Heyman always says it's the night before Christmas the night before Roubaix, Roubaix. <laughs> um, what else we got here we've got a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up then what else do we have here What is the most bullshit thing you've seen in a race, good or bad? Oh, we were talking about this other night. You told me one, but I can't quite. I might have a bit of time to think on this one. What did I say? You were. Uh, mentioned this. Hmm. There's some pretty crazy things that go on, though. Just trying to remember them all. All right, well then let's have a think about that one. And just, this is actually one I know you will be able to answer and I can help you with. Actually, I've got one. One of the most bullshit things I've seen was after a race. So we arrived in the snow in the Giro at the top of the climb and we were ushered down the road to a school, like a little dormitory school. We were sort of thinking, what's going on here? This one is like, you've got to go down to that 
dormitory school it's, it's actually pissing snow and we're freezing I think I had a headache I was so cold and there's the public lining up for a gondola like a telecomino to take you down the mountain and I had my bike and they were like it was an open air telecomino so you just sort of jumped on and they took you down probably like a couple of k down the buses were waiting for you and it's just, just like, like a chairlift chairlift and you're just, just snowing and and there's just like 100 bike riders 200 bike riders lining up with the public to get on a chairlift to go down to the buses and like guys I, like Merlin this is this is actually bullshit and uh, I think it was Gossie I was with Gossie at that point Matt Goss and uh, we both jumped in one and we jumped in with two people from the public so we're rattling as we're coming down the they're loving it. They the just you race two seconds before. Now they're catching. I think it was a British here. couple. They're like, "Oh, how was your day?" You're like, "Oh, mate, <laughs> how day. good's that <laughs> for them? <laughs> for them, that was bullshit. That was for me. That was like, ah, oh, this is bullshit, you know. But anyway, you know, just because you're tired and it's cold, but you know, that's the zero. It's so epic because of those things as well. I did remember my most um, ridiculous moment was it was in my first Vuelta, and we're coming down a climb, and. I was just hanging in there. It was single file. I'd only just got over the climb, big climb before. And then often what teams do is they they go full gas on the downhill as well, just to try and split the peloton as well. I was just hanging in. And next thing I know, a guy comes underneath me in the corner. And you sort of, you see in the peripheral vision, you sort of give him a bit of room. You're not happy. And next thing I see, it's my teammate. Where's Salzburger? I was like, ah. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, like, like, like I'm just hanging in here. I'm on the limits, hanging into the bunch. He snakes underneath me in the corner. Just as he does that, his front wheel blows out. No, no way. Yeah. What are you doing, like 70? Yeah. Shit. And my initial thought was, well, he's gone. Oh, Jesus, how's he going? Won't do that again. Yeah. Holds it up. No way. Couldn't believe it. Front wheel. Front wheel. Oh, yeah. holds it up and sort of unclips and stays up and I just remember thinking to myself while well, he's like edge of the cliff he's gone <laughs> and he held it it was an amazing thing I remember speaking to him after the race oh, and, mate. mate where's that corner one don't do that again to me but two <laughs> well also, done yeah well done <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty mad um, alright well this one this can be our final question I reckon because it's a bit of a big one I would inter- I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about training not the specific like programs, but what you guys do to keep fresh, but more possibly off the bike. Do you do any mountain biking, swimming or running, yoga or stretching? Hmm. Well, I think I've learned over the couple of years, probably from guys like yourself, Swain Swain, Yeah. just doing extra things to that really benefit your mind and your body on the bike and I always when I was you know coming up as a rider you always look at things like only bike riding you know and you lay on your bed and then you you uh, go bike riding then you come back and you eat and you lay on your bed again Mm. and that was just the mentality you have as a young rider you think that's all I need to do and that's all I can do and you quickly find out that that's not sustainable sustainable yeah. so extracurricular stuff in terms of like morning routines and it's a big thing people speak about but it's little routines in the morning that you wake up and you you know go outside in the sun and you you stretch and you open up the body for the day and you open up your hips and your um, glutes hip flexors hamstrings and just to be able to get yourself into that position on the bike that you can replicate day after day after day and I think doing a grand tour so you stay a little bit more normal like a human, not a cripple. Exactly. You know, you f- might see someone that's, as a grandchild goes on, gets more and more and more poorer posture and bends yeah. over and performance goes down and you feel like crap. So I think for myself, I, I do sort of most mornings wake up and I have a shower and, and go out and, and, and stretch. A hot shower? Cold. Cold. Do cold, yeah, yourself. I have a cold one too. Cold, yeah. But yeah, and then open up and... And in terms of opening up, it's sort of like a, a yoga activation Pilates sort of combination, and uh, which would only be 10 minutes, but it's enough just to get everything moving for the day and, and you're right to go. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that then. I, I'm definitely at the end of every season, 
It's almost like a reset period. Play a lot of hand wall ball. Yeah. Which is a good chance to get the whole body moving at the start of the wall ball season in the Aussie summer. I'm pretty pretty rigid. I'm not being not 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 able to run, not don't have much mobility, but by the end of the summer I'm moving again like a normal human. And I think that's always important. Directional changes, things yeah. like that as a cyclist, you're so one dimensional. We don't do that. We sit on a bike and after we sit sat on the bike we sit on our bed or relax because you you're buggered. So definitely even when we get a day off, I, I like to walk around and go for a swim if I can, go down the beach, have a, just try and be a bit normal. Um, one thing I have included a lot the last few years is a lot of weight training and that's more just to... Um, so in terms of like full gym sort of program? Sort of, yeah. yeah. Not too much upper body, a lot of squats. Which bits. can be, in terms of an old school mentality, looked upon as maybe not ideal for cycling sometimes you know I guess so no um but that's also I think the movement's changing I think a lot of people do gym now yeah. but and mentally it's nice too mm. nice to go on the gym for, for a day for half a session so you structure that over the off season that you progressively do it throughout the year or is it sort of like I'm just doing the off season and then once you start the season you stop I've kept it going the last couple of years previous okay. to that I would stop um Tomorrow I'm going to do a gym session. Okay. So tomorrow is Wednesday before Roubaix. And tomorrow's session is all about, won't be very heavy, won't be very long, but it's just about to keep that activation there. So next week after Roubaix, when I get back in the gym, it's not like I haven't done gym for three weeks. So, um, But it's not when you say activation, it's it's, it's more reminding, isn't it? Hmm. You know, in, in terms of, we all have the muscles, but muscle memory, they it? get so turned off, don't they? So with hmm. the gym... That really helps, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, mate, we've uh, forgot to fire the sauna up, I've just realised. True. We're going to have to wait half an hour. But um, let's go and have a sauna and let's start thinking about Roubaix. Sounds good, mate. Sounds good. Send your questions in and Durbo and I will do another Q&A sometime later in the year. So, uh, cheers. Cheers, guys.